Welcome back to the Nomi Podcast. So welcome, welcome, Ellen, to the Know Me podcast. We are so excited to have you on. Thank you. I've been looking forward to this. We have been looking forward to it, too, just because we love you so much, and we're sure our listeners will, too. And because we have you on, I've been thinking a lot about work and career and this kind of angle of life, especially with your background in HR and being in a corporate setting, because that world feels so foreign to me. I've been an entrepreneur on my own in solopreneur life for a while now and I love it, but it's exhausting. And so I actually am really curious because I've been out of the full-time game for so long. How do you balance the practicality of working a job, like paying the bills, having the stable life with feeling fulfilled and purposeful at work? Such a great question, Madeline. Having had some time to think about this coming into the podcast and being so invested in Nomi and all the learnings coming out of Nomi, I think what I've realized most particularly over the last couple of years is being able to be my best self at work and do the kind of work that energizes me, I think is how I'm balancing that practical matter of got to go to work, got to pay the rent, the bills come due, but also making meaning of work and being able to leave the day feeling like I did something that fed me, but that made a difference for someone else. I'm laughing a little bit because I've had a journey where I was in the traditional, you've got to get a career, right? And you have to have a plan and you got to have it all figured out. And there was no balance. The goal was, okay, how do you do this sort of structure that we are being taught that there's definitely a structure to having a career? And how do you balance and bring into, like you were saying, Ellen, the rest of you? It was, it's great because you can bring parts of you perhaps, but what about the rest of you? Does the rest of you just doesn't ever get to show up? The rest of you meaning like parts of me that want to be more creative or parts of me that maybe wanted to be more spontaneous or parts of me that wanted to be just different parts that bring me different joys for different reasons. That's a really great call out, Cynthia. Certainly, I can relate to the almost rigidity of what a career had to look like when I was building my career and I think also my younger self, I didn't know myself as well as I needed to in order to really figure out what was going to serve me in a career. It was, I have to make money because I have to pay my rent. Now I have a house, I need to pay the mortgage. Now I have kids, I need to take care of them. And secondary was what I got out of it like what personal mm. satisfaction I got out of it. And then as I got deeper in my career and I, took some jobs. I made some career pivots that really were about seeing work that appealed to me and going to it. That I realized that career can serve self and there can be a real sense of personal satisfaction coming out of career. But I would link the knowledge of self, what excites me, what was I passionate about, to being able to find some real personal satisfaction in job and not just the satisfaction of 
I had a great performance year, so I got a really good raise and I got a good bonus and yay me, like on to the next year. I was on the business side of insurance for a very long part of my career, but I always gravitated towards projects that were coming out of HR where our head of HR was looking for business side collaboration. And long story short, a job opened up working for him. And I thought, my gosh, I know what I want to do. Getting in that alignment and then seeking out the opportunities to do the kind of work that aligns to who I am, I think is a really, I think it's the key to personal and professional success being intertwined. I definitely agree with that. And also I want, I'm going to ask Maggie here because Maggie, I know your background. Maggie was a teacher and left teaching to pursue coaching. And one of the things that's connected this here for me is when Ellen, you said, I was building a career when I didn't know myself. And I find that mm. so many people are doing this. We're asked to, True. we're forced right, to right. build a yeah. career before we're ever asked to explore ourselves or even given the skills to do so. So that's where my brain was like, oh, I wonder what Maggie's thoughts are on this as someone who went into a career that you ended up leaving. Yeah, no. And my brain was going as Ellen was talking too. it was a curveball for me because I mm. did. I started I, teaching as a career. People get in that for the long run, right? Like 30 years. Mm -hmm. And I thought when I started that job, that's what I was going to be doing. I was going to be teaching for 30 years and that was it. Wash my hands, me done with it. And what happened as Ellen, you were sharing this too. The more I started to know myself and know my strengths and values, the more apparent it came that maybe that career wasn't the best suited for me in terms of how I can utilize those every day. But that was like a big reckoning. Like that was really hard to wrap my head around just walking away from a career. And I think we talked a little bit about what parts can show up at work. And with me, it was almost I had to start asking myself, is showing up at work preventing me from using different parts of myself outside of work? So it was almost an inverse question that helped me make some clarity on that decision. We're using the word, well, parts of me or my strengths or, you know, just knowing about ourselves. And so I'll just throw in a little bit of developmental psychology. And one of the things we know is that we don't start forming our identity until our 18 to 30, 25, mm. 30, whatever. Yeah. And so that's when we're really looking at these parts and naming them. What really does interest me as a human being, this being versus doing, which we've mm -hmm. talked a lot about with Nomi, some of us never fall upon or name those things. I went through a long part of my life. I think I was in my 40s before I was like, what really does? What parts of me do I want to bring to each aspect of my life? What strengths or what values or what parts of me as a human being do I want to have show up in these jobs or these careers? Because that was marrying the two. Is it just about the skills and the capabilities or can it be about nourishing me as I am producing or nourishing this organization that I'm working for? So I'm having a thought that, Dangerous. you know, right? So scary. Run, people, run. <laughs> I'm having this thought. That's a really interesting tidbit about sort of the brain piece of it and development. And when I'm working with earlier career talent, I talk about 
having a myriad of experiences and trying things on. And so it almost is an interesting alignment of brain development and experience, right? Be going into it in an open-minded way of, first, I'm going to try this job. And I'm going to think about what do I really like about this job? What do I really get no energy from in this job? And and then looking around, right? Like periodically picking your head up and looking around and saying, what are other roles where I can do more of the things I like and maybe less of the things that give me no energy? And trying to find a way to get yourself involved in those things, whether it's applying for an opening or spending time with someone doing the job. So it's this interesting, I don't even know the word, it's this interesting intersection of developing knowledge of self and developing knowledge of the things that you like to do. And maybe they culminate at a certain point where you've got an intrinsic knowledge of self, you've tried some things in your career world, and you're going to, those lines will intersect at some point. Ellen, as you were talking, I, the word playful kind of popped into my head. Playful experimentation. We are lacking some of that like in the society. Like we were talking about it is like you just trudge along and you check the boxes and you sign up for a career and then you're stuck in this lane. And somewhere along the way, we have lost this sort of permission slip to experiment even within our current roles or our jobs and just get curious about what is landing and what is not landing and how we can maybe make some tweaks and changes. Mm. So I liked that invitation that you just gave to get curious and get playful and not get so tied down so quickly because we are always evolving. Yeah. Curious and courageous. Mm. Yes. Yeah. And some of the language here that I know came up a lot because Ellen, you, when you were talking about having a multitude of experiences, I had literally just written a note to myself about how I think one of the best things I did, even though I didn't even know I was doing it at the time, was trying so many jobs when I was even in high school, like mm -hmm. working at a bakery and then yeah. um, doing some odd jobs here and there. I remember reaching out to a cookie company when I lived in China because I was like, I like cookies and you like cookies <laughs> and I feel like I could help you find other people who like cookies and I have no marketing experience, but I like cookies. I like cookies. <laughs> But I used to work in bakeries. And so maybe I could try this. And people I find are willing to a, a lot of them, if you catch them at the right moment in their businesses, willing to to be playful, bringing in that word from you, Maggie, with you if you're if you bring that curious energy. But I think one of the things that happens, especially with getting hunkered down and tied to something quickly, is we've been told that being a specialist is fiscally lucrative. And so the sooner you can specialize, the more you can grow in a financial stage of your career and on a trajectory where you're going to have those raises year over year and you're going to have those title sh like shifts frequently in your career. But with the rise of the generalist or the multi-potentialite, as it's called now, people are floating. They get bored with what they're doing or they don't like the environment for certain reasons or, or they get laid off and then AI takes over part of their job. <laughs> they don't know how to find another right. point in. So the mm -hmm. landscape of curiosity is difficult in work because I think part of the narrative is the more curious you are, the more vulnerable you are. And so if you really want to be mm -hmm. secure, mm -hmm. stable and and have a lucrative career, you need to be in a place of knowing, not in a place of curiosity. That really resonates for me. And I'm jealous of your experiences where you did bop around and <laughs> try on all these different things because I didn't have that. Right. I was slated to be a teacher from I think the second I probably started talking. 
And so I never looked to the left or right and said, what else is out there? I didn't have that experimentation. And I felt that, I think, when I made the choice to pull myself out of that career. So my stomach is doing flip-flops. And here's why. I'm thinking of the conditioning that I've had over the courses course of the years about we really need to focus on money. It pays the bills. It keeps us moving forward. And as a parent, that's the Kool-Aid I drank for myself, right? And so therefore, I passed it on to my kids. And so how do I in good conscience say just do what you're passionate about or just do what makes you feel good and just throw caution to the wind and Don't worry about making money. Is there a way to have both? I hope so. (laughs) I say yes. I think that when you and I were building our careers, Cynthia, there was more rigidity to how one could build a career. But my view of career building today is I think it's different. I think that there is more openness to curiosity and for people to try things on. Let me give you an example. When I was building my career, you couldn't have a gap in your resume. And if you had a lot of job movement in your resume, that was viewed as a negative. I can tell you from where I sit today as someone who heads up HR for an organization, those things are not giant red flags anymore. Gaps in resumes are pretty common. Multiple opportunities on a resume are very common. Really, it's an opportunity or it's the responsibility of the hiring company to understand a person's story. And great stories come out of different opportunities on a resume. Getting back to can you make money but have a a, a career that serves you, I think you can do that. And I do think you can be curious and courageous in the workplace. One of the things I want to note is when we talk about throwing caution to the wind and pursuing purpose is pursuing purpose and thinking about fulfillment are great privileges. The majority of the world Mm -hmm. doesn't get to a place where they can really feel like they can consider these things. And especially around finances, when we talk about money privilege, wealth privilege. We are four white women sitting in a room talking about purpose and career. And I think there's something to say about that because Mm -hmm. the purpose conversation tends to come freely to people who feel secure and stable and, Mm -hmm. and are willing to go out on a limb to do something like that and to feel the world or their family or their networks will catch them. And not everybody has that privilege. So Realistically thinking, I think most of us don't even have this. uh, Many people don't even have this conversation or feel they don't even have the privilege to have this conversation with themselves, never mind with others and make changes in their lives and careers. And so I think there are pieces of it that are more practical than others. But the first building blocks, I think, involve not these giant decisions to make a leap or throw all caution to the wind or what have you. But to really work on that relationship to self so that you understand how you can make the most of the pieces you have in front of you. Because Mm -hmm. when we live a life and work in line with our strengths, especially not just our values, but our strengths, things feel easier and we have more energy to grow. And in this world, in this capitalist society, when we monetize essentially what we are good at and what brings us energy, that creates a lucrative 
and sustaining world and trajectory for us. But I think it is important to at least acknowledge that not everybody starts in the same field and that there are mm-hmm. some people who are never going to think these conversations are approachable because in in their realm and with the setbacks they have in front of them and in our world as a whole, this stuff is not, it's not an easy reach. Yeah. It's a great call out. And I just brought up that because absolutely fear mindset, right? The fear mindset versus the opportunistic mindset can be very polarizing that everything's an opportunity and nothing's a fear and that this all or nothing thing. So I think it really is important and nicely said, Madeline, that we can take little bites, right? And and what we're talking about is that it's not just passion or just money. Again, right. we're talking about something in the middle. The other thing I'd be really curious about, because I just like to stir the pot, is what people think about, does a career or a job need to make money or need to be in another organization? What if I work in the home? When you say work in the home, I assume you're meaning stay-at-home parent or... I think the modern, what is the modern term for it these days? In the old days, we used to call it a domestic engineer. Ooh, (laughs) a domestic engineer. (laughs) Women in STEM. Yeah. Yes. Domestic engineer. This brings up the big thing, right? Because it talks about an exchange. This circles back into the conversation we have a lot about transactional relationships. And in the world of work, we think of it very transactionally. I do X labor, you give me Y money, we're all happy. And I think a lot of times the decisions that go behind a parent staying home tend to be fiscally driven. Is it less expensive for me to ditch my career or ditch what I was doing for work and stay home than it is for us to hire childcare? Because that brings in all of this as well. And then, of course, there are people like one of my sisters has always wanted to be a mom. And it was her dream to be able to stay home and help raise her kids, especially while they're young. And she's very good at it. And so I think when we talk about careers and exchange of resources, we do have to think more broadly. It's not just about money, which was part of your question. That's at least least where I sit. Maybe instead of thinking about it as a career, we pivot our thinking to thinking about it as a vocation, Hmm. something that really lights us up. Maybe it's making sure or finding way, like knowing your strengths and values and then finding ways to make what you're doing a vocation. You're doing it because you love it. You're doing it because you have passion for it. You're doing it because it serves something in you. And so instead of saying career, maybe we're talking about vocation. I love that you brought that word up, Ellen, because I've been thinking about it for the past five minutes. And the word vocation has given me a lot of permission, I think, over the last year or so, because just as an example, I thought of teaching as a career. And then when I left that career, I still loved teaching. I'm inherently a teacher, right? And so I was having this tug of war of what do I do with this now? I left the traditional arena where teaching happens, but it still lights me up. So how do I reconcile the two? And I think I was able to come to terms with that once I started inserting like this word vocation, that there are so many different ways to do the things that light us up. 
We just have to be able to identify them first, and then we can figure out how we want to apply them or what shape and form that takes. But that word really resonates with me. And it's interesting because I went to a Catholic high school. And as I'm talking about this too, like that word vocation was thrown around a lot. It was thrown around in like a religious sense, right? This idea of finding a purpose, finding a calling. Mm -hmm. But I like looking back, there really was some merit to that because it was more about finding your vocation versus finding your career. And that as a teenager, that language meant nothing to me. But in retrospect, I'm like, oh, that makes a lot of sense. Here we are back to strengths and values. So it's like, how do you know your vocation if you don't know yourself? or what serves you, or what feeds you, or are you playing to your strengths? If you don't know them, how do you know you're playing to them? And then there's this virtuous circle that occurs, I think. Whether you're working at home as a domestic engineer, or you're working in, I don't know, you're the CEO of a Fortune 200 company where you're leveraging your strengths and values, you get to bring them to your vocation pretty regularly if not all the time, it allows you to do your best work and have your best performance. And so you can see how this virtuous circle happens. And while you're doing that great work, I think you ha- you become like almost a magnet for people, right? You're like bringing people along with you. You're inviting them into the virtuous circle. And I think that it perpetuates itself. Something that came up as well with the word vocation is vocational schools. It's really funny we talk about this because Mm. vocational schools and going to vocational schools, especially over going to university in the States, was a huge judgment triggering thing. And I live in the UK where there's a lot of trades kind of education, not just in taking an alternate route, but also built into their education system and the way that young people choose classes. I'm still learning about it. So there's a lot I don't know. But especially around college and sixth form, there's this period of time where they take their basic, I think, A-levels and then can additionally choose a track based on what they're interested in at first. And why I'm bringing this up is because I think that the lens, looking through our life in a lens of strengths, values, and finding our own personal resonance with what we do, it sounds Mm. so fluffy, but it's so important because it neutralizes judgment around the expression of that thing. So what you're actually doing. Um, Mm -hmm. I think like my brother-in-law is a really great example of this. He's a licensed electrician and he is like a really great job for him because he is such a curious tinkerer who likes like playing with things, who has all this energy. And even when he did scaffolding, I was like, oh, my God, that's such a good job for Brian because he could scale anything and just have a great time doing it that day. And so I think it's so important to think about our lives through this lens because it opens up two questions. What are the possibilities of how I could express that being in what I do, right? Which opens up the question of what skills does that look like? What jobs do that look like, et cetera? And then the other question is, and how can I explore the fiscal part of things from a place of sufficiency? You don't have to worry about the more traditional side of looking at a career, with promotions and raises and whatever, Mm -hmm. because we've been taught to pursue this hamster wheel when sometimes if we just start from internal plus sufficiency, we can find a vocation or a job or a set of skills that we are okay looking into for a finite amount of time. And that gives us the flexibility we might need as well to have a 
career that grows around and with us rather than forcing ourselves into a specific trajectory in life. Once again, we're talking about the and. We can use whatever language helps us define this way that we don't have to lose ourselves in any part of our life. If we want to call our vocation everything else that we do other than our paying job, and that's our career, then have at it. Nobody's going to come flying through the front door going arms up. You're not allowed to do that. It might be difficult when you're having a conversation with someone who doesn't grasp the concept of we get to define, but and we can understand where they're coming from the traditional sense of these words and how they've morphed or, or what meanings they have in our particular society. But at the end of the day, I think it's really helpful to look at What values or strengths do I bring that light me up when I do these things? When I was deciding to become a counselor, I was in my late 40s and people are like, why did you do that? And basically I did it because I looked at my life thus far. I was a theater arts major. I minored in accounting because my dad said, at least you can make some money. And then I went and worked for an insurance company and I did HR and I did finance and I did accounts payable and accounts receivable, blah, blah, blah. And then I was a mom and I was like, what are the values that have been following me? And that when I, and that when I'm in them, I'm thinking, wow, I'm really lit up. So I think that there's some merit in doing it no matter what stage you are in your life of just checking in with what are the things that you bring as being, we call them strengths and values, right, that really light you up when you're in that space of being. Amen to that. So I think that there are two camps of people that I can imagine are resonating with parts of this episode. And both of them have one thing in common, which is that they know already that there's some sort of something that's not working at work. (laughs) So they feel potentially the Sunday scaries, the Monday blues, getting out of bed for work is really hard. They maybe once felt really passionate about what they did and really energized. And it's not that they don't care about what they do anymore, but the sparkle and luster has left. Mm -hmm. And then I think there are people who are even deeper along in that journey where they really know this isn't it, but don't know how to step out of that cycle. And so I'm wondering for group A, who says, I think there's still some stuff here that's worth picking apart and going deeper in and trying to use the ingredients I already have in the house kind of vibes. And there are some people, the latter half, who they know they need to go shopping. (laughs) The ingredients that are in the Mm -hmm. house are not going to make a meal. And they're tired of being hungry and unsatisfied even when they do eat. And so they know they need to go shopping, but it's a really scary world. And coming from a scarcity mindset, it feels really scary to go to that shop because I don't know what I'm looking for and I haven't done my meal prep. So do any of you have something to say to group A or group B in this case? I can definitely talk to group A. I'm going to call back something that you said way earlier, Madeline, which was talking about making the most of the pieces we have. Mm. So I think for me personally, like I, it was a process before I decided to leave teaching. So I was in this period where group A sort of is where I had to really get clear on what I wanted for myself, what I was curious about, and then I found ways to actually bring that into what I was currently doing with work as much as I possibly could. So what that looked like for me 
was maybe I taught history. So maybe shaving off five or 10 minutes of like my history lesson every day and throwing in some like social emotional learning stuff just to try to see if I can scratch those itches and make those little small tweaks. It was tricky. It can be really hard because we instantly get hard in our heads. No, I can't do that. I can't find any flexibility or room to do that or start experimenting. But I think if we get creative and resourceful, which we all naturally are, we can try to make the most of those pieces and just insert like slivers. Start using that as like a rubric or a checklist to see what's resonating, what's not. Am I feeling any better? Am I not feeling so great still? Building off of that, Maggie, looking around where you are, and this is more to group A, the sparkle is gone, but looking around where you are and getting engaged in ways you haven't been able to before and being really intentional about, as Maggie's saying, how do you bring your strengths and your values into your work? Can you get yourself on a project that looks like it might light you up? Can you find a mentor or just a friend in another unit, department, part of your organization that looks really interesting to you? And can you learn more about that? Are there other opportunities in your organization um, that you might be able to get involved in? And then maybe trying that as a way of finding more value in your work, getting more energy from your work. And I think, uh, Mom, if you're willing for me to put you on the spot, I feel like you could speak to Group B here because when you did change careers and become a counselor, it wasn't just about changing careers and that itself being scary. You were going through a divorce. You had teenagers, myself included, in the house that were chaotic. Mm -hmm. Your mother was sick and declining. And you had a lot going on in your life that I think anyone would have said, now's not the time to change careers. <laughs> so I'm really curious for Group B in that real scarcity fear place, what were some of the things that helped you to honor what you knew was a movement toward the best direction for you? So I was really clear through all of those challenges as far as who I wanted to be. At that time, I had started this practice of really wanting to live in my integrity, my truth, my authentic self or whatever. And so I had to define that. And one of the mantras I had was that I wanted to be a solution, not part of the problem. I recognized that there was lots mm -hmm. of problems, but how could I be a solution? So I took each of my challenges and said to myself, okay, what could you bring to this situation? Like you guys were saying, that would make it better. So I partnered, right, with my teenage girls. And I said, here's what's going on. Here's the realities. We were under some financial stressors. And so I was like, I'm going to ask you guys to partner with me, not because I wanted to burden them, but because they were of an age where I could say, this is what I'm thinking. And, and here I am. I, I brought in vulnerability and I brought in my village. There were certain friends that I had that could hold space for me as I was saying, really, I would like to do it this way. I had to have a difficult conversation. I had to leave the family business that I was gearing towards taking over when my mom got sick because I said to myself, what's my priority? And my priority was being the eldest daughter and helping my mom through this 
and my dad through this difficult time. She had Alzheimer's. Life is full of choices, right? And some of them aren't really all that lovely. They're like, oh, Mm -hmm. do I have to pick either? But what we can do is we can know that through it all, I brought what I thought was I'm going to call my best self. I want to jump into real quick because I have I I made this transition like very recently, right? Within the last couple of years. And as you were talking, it was coming up for me that I think as I was making the most of the pieces I had in my classroom and trying to insert and scratch little needs here and like, how did that feel? When I was doing that experimenting, when I was on the fence about whether or not I wanted to leave, what I was also unintentionally doing was drawing the opportunities that I eventually wanted, whether or not I knew I wanted them in that moment or not, closer towards me. So the people, the networks, the content I was learning, so that when it came time to make that leap, I also left my career, similar in Cynthia, in a fashion that people would be like, your life is in chaos. What are you doing? But when it came time to make that actual leap, it was still scary, but I had actually cultivated this little landing net all along the way as I was getting curious when I was already in my existing career. And that went a long way too. Both of you have alluded to support mechanisms. And I think you can't underestimate the value of your village. Knowing who the people are in your corner inviting them to be part of your journey and to help you in the journey, I think is another really good tool in the toolbox. These things are hard sometimes. As you were saying, I don't like what's behind door A or door B, but you've got to choose. And having partnerships or friendships or a village that you can tap into when you're faltering or your negative self-talk is starting or You just want to put some ideas out there is really important. I agree completely. And from what I'm hearing from all of you, I tried to summarize from at least what I thought were some great gems. So number one, mom, you mentioned this word priorities. And I think that no matter where we're at in our journey, the more we can create clarity around what the current priority is, I think the more success we set ourselves up with because the experimentation, Mm -hmm. the partnering, all of this stuff can feel overwhelming in and of itself if we are all over the place. So starting with that priority and being honest with yourself, right? You don't have to scream your priority out loud or tell everything and everyone in your life that isn't the priority. Like, you're not a priority for me anymore. But just in your own silent world, you can just commit yourself to that being your priority. And then partnering with your existing resources or ingredients back to the main metaphor, right? If you know what's already in your house, You can figure out what you do have available Mm -hmm. and where there are gaps so that where you see the gaps, you can do exactly what Ellen was talking about, which is to pull in new resources, build that village, build that network up and experiment and even say, I don't think these ingredients or these resources have a purpose. But for example, as Maggie beautifully spoke about, how might I be able to see how this existing thing that I don't think has a purpose could have a purpose? How can I experiment with what's already available to me? And then aligning ourselves more and more with what we want and hopefully bridging that gap or creating that marshmallow landing, as Maggie put it, so that the either the leap feels less scary or we know there's something there that's going to catch us. The thing I will add here is that our work life, due to how the world works, is interdependent on a lot of other areas of our lives. And so when you talk about it takes a village, Ellen, not to toot Nomi's horn, but toot, toot, toot over here. 
Because that's one of our main taglines for a reason. While you're figuring out this stuff at work, it's going to have impact on other areas of your life and vice versa. How many times does something personal go on that affects how you're showing up at work? And then that creates a vicious cycle of something's going on personally, so I'm not showing up at work. And because they're not giving me the grace I need, it's going to affect my income, which is going to affect my personal life even more. And this was a huge wave in the past few years around the fact that personal and professional don't have this wide chasm between them. We are one person in all settings. So with Nomi, Mm -hmm. I think this approach really matters because finding purpose, finding fulfillment, finding satisfaction genuinely and authentically in life is going to affect everything you do. Because as much as we aren't told or taught how to know about ourselves, once we do, it's not possible to unknow it. So it truly does take a village. And we really need to give ourselves permission to build that village around ourselves. I agree. I'd add one more thing, maybe being aware of scope. If you're really looking to make a big career change, but you're afraid, maybe dipping a toe in the water and trying it out, do one or two things and try to build some momentum behind that. It could be a a good way to get yourself started and moving in a direction. Yes, absolutely. Very true. Absolutely. If this feels like quite the marshmallow landing ourselves, there's so much we could talk about in work. I even wrote a note we didn't even get to about work-life boundaries versus work-life balance. So maybe yeah. that's a conversation for another time. That's a whole, yeah. yeah I that's know. That's a whole podcast and then some. <laughs> Truly. If you want to have a conversation with Ellen or work with Ellen, one of the ways that you can get in touch with her is to reach out at ellen at nomi.com. So you're more than welcome to reach out directly. And also I'll put in the show notes your LinkedIn, Ellen. Is that okay with you? Perfect. Perfect. So without further ado, we need to have the most important part of the podcast, (laughs) Cynthia's coach. All right. I thought Confucius was someone I was going to bring up when it all started, right? And I'm sure he really appreciates it. (laughs) Choose a job you love and you will never work a day in your life. Oh, Um, we know that one, don't we? When we decided this as our topic, that's the first thing that came to mind. <laughs> yeah, it, it is true. And I think actually we could have another podcast all around work, just this word. So yeah, there's really yeah. a lot in here. Absolutely. Sure. Thank you all of you for being with us today. We hope that you got some value out of this. You can find us at podcast.nomi.com. Feel free to reach out with any topics that you want us to explore, or we can go deeper on this particular topic as well. And of course, if you want to work with any of us and all of us, you can take the Nomi package, which involves coaching with all of our core coaches, or you can work with any of us one-on-one. So please do get in touch if we can help support you and if we can be a part of your village. Thanks for being with us today, and we will see you in a couple of weeks. Until next time, be well. Thanks for listening to the Nomi Podcast. If you have found our show to be helpful, please pass it along. Madeline and I are hoping you will join us in creating a ripple effect of mental health and well-being. This is Cynthia and Madeline asking you to be good to you.